in 2 Kings. This morning we want to study on King Hezekiah. Uh, right now uh, we kind of left our our study in the book of Genesis so that we can focus on what I believe God has been reminding me of and reminding the church of, of who he is and that he's all-powerful, he's all-sovereign, and that he's in control over the situation in our lives. Uh, in times of blessing and in times uh, of curse, God is still sovereign over all, and he's with us, he's here this morning, um, and something we can rejoice in, we, we have hope and faith that God is moving in times when we, don't, when we feel like we don't see him. God is there, he's sovereign. In Genesis, when we left off, we were, we were studying Abraham. We were studying his family line because Abraham is the patriarch of the Jewish people. So we, we followed him and we saw that Abraham himself was a man of faith. And even him himself, he, he was a man who, who faltered in his faith. And it's, it's good to see how God uses these men. But God shows Abraham as the forefather of Israel. And so we follow his story, his story, God's story of his chosen people. And as you follow his line of people, eventually you're going to end up with Jesus Christ being born from the tribe of Judah, being born of a virgin. So it's important that we kind of trace the history of the Jewish people. So in 2 Kings, if you would turn your Bible to chapter 18, we're going to study King Hezekiah, how we get to him, though. So first, remember, we have Abraham. And from Abraham, he had his son Isaac. And then after Isaac, we have Jacob. And then from Jacob, you have the 12 tribes of Israel. And from these men, you have then the, the birth of the nations of Israel. And we follow their lines. So once Moses took the Israelites and out of Egypt, they led them into the promised land. And once they were there in the promised land, God set them up. He gave them the promised land that was promised to them. And he answered that covenant that he had with them. And now that they're there in the land, they began, the Israelites, to desire a king. And they were a monarchy before that. But eventually they ended up wanting a human king. Now this was actually against God. But God permitted it. God allowed them to elect Saul as their king. And then Saul, he failed. And after Saul passed away, King David would end up reigning in Israel. And then from David, you have his sons, who then be also began to reign. You have Solomon. And after Solomon, the nation of Israel, which was one nation, ended up dividing into two separate nations. Now, once they divided, constantly you see the northern tribes of Israel in the north and the southern tribe of Judah, and we see them constantly going into idolatry or going into war and battles and, and constantly going back to the Lord and then back into idolatry. So the book of Kings is, is kind of telling a, of the chronicles and the stories, the accounts of what these kings went through. And one king in particular, his name was Hezekiah. So in 2 Kings chapter 18, it says this of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, began to rule over Judah in the third year of King Hosea's reign in Israel. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight just as his ancestor David had done. He removed the pagan shrines 
smash the sacred pillars, and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke up the bronze serpent that Moses had made, because the people of Israel had been offering sacrifices to it. The bronze serpent was called Nehushtan. So Hezekiah, we see uh, he's the kind of the first king who really uh, has some righteousness, and he start, starts to follow after God. And, and it's great, because as he's doing that now, he's taking away the idolatry in Israel. It says that he trusted the God of Israel. It said that he actually took the, the bronze serpent. If you guys remember the story of Moses in the wilderness with the Israelites, he took the bronze serpent as commanded by God and told people, if you look at the bronze serpent and believe, you're going to be healed because the people were being plagued by the serpent's that were attacking them. Now, eventually, they took that bronze serpent years later, and the people began to worship it. They began to worship this, this relic. And King Hezekiah saw this. So what did he do? He took the bronze serpent, and he said, Nehushtan, meaning a, a thing of brass, and he broke it in pieces. And you know, sometimes in our life, we can do that. We can take... Uh, something that is a relic or sacred and turn it into an idol. Um, I'm, I'm glad that we don't know where the Ark of the Covenant is right now because if we knew where the Ark of the Covenant is, people would probably be trying to worship it right now. They'd be leaving their offerings before it. And we're not supposed to look at the instruments that God is using. We're supposed to look at God. And that's also in our, in our own lives as we are not to take instruments, meaning even people, that God is using and to turn them into idols. But we are to look at God and God alone. So Hezekiah saw this Nehushtan and he broke it in pieces. It says in verse 5, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before or after his time. He remained faithful to the Lord in everything. He carefully obeyed all the commands the Lord had given Moses. So the Lord was with him, and Hezekiah was successful in everything he did. He revolted against the king of Assyria and refused to pay him tribute. He also conquered the Philistines as far distant as Gaza and its territory, from their smallest outpost to their largest walled city. So we have a king here who fears the Lord. And that's what we need. We need leaders who are going to fear the Lord. And God is allowing him to be blessed and successful because he's obedient. Now, in a, in a Christian's walk, in a Christian's life, sometimes we think that that equation for success is obedience to the Lord equates to financial success or good health or uh, prosperity. But obedience to the Lord is eternal. It's not the temporary blessings. It's not an automatic equation. It, it, I would warn people um, who are becoming a Christian to actually look out for the attacks, look out for the trials that are going to come their way because they're tests. And sometimes God allows them to happen, and sometimes they're from the enemy, where God allows trials to come upon you, but it's not because all the time because you're being disobedient. Sometimes it's because of your obedience. Now, there are other trials that you walk into because of your disobedience, and when you're walking in disobedience to the Lord and the trial is there, there's no peace. But if you are in obedience to the Lord, in the midst of a trial, God allows peace and joy to come in the midst of that situation. So we want to be men and women who fear the Lord, who trust in the Lord. In verse, if you skip down at verse 13, we are going to be jumping around a little bit in this uh, chapter. But in verse 13, it says this, In the 14th year of King Hezekiah's reign, King Sennacherib, of Assyria came to attack the fortified towns of Judah and conquered them. 
King Hezekiah sent this message to the king of Assyria at Lachish. I have done wrong. I will pay whatever tribute money you demand if you will only withdraw. The king of Assyria then demanded a settlement of more than 11 tons of silver and one ton of gold. To gather this amount, King Hezekiah used all the silver stored in the temple of the Lord and in the palace treasury. Hezekiah even stripped the gold from the doors of the Lord's temple and from the doorposts he overlaid with gold, and he gave it all to the Assyrian king. Nevertheless, the king of Assyria sent his commander-in-chief, his field commander, and his chief of staff from Lachish with a huge army to confront King Hezekiah in Jerusalem. The Assyrians took up a position beside the aqueduct that feeds water into the upper pool near the road leading to the field where cloth is watched. They summoned King Hezekiah, but the king sent these officials to meet with them, Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, the palace administrator, Shebna, the court secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the royal historian. Okay, so King Hezekiah has now been a king for some time now. It says 14 years. And King Sennacherib, so he's the antagonist in this account. He comes against Israel. He comes against Judah to try to overtake it. And so he threatens them like a gangster. He comes to them with his giant army, and he says, look, you are going to pay tribute to me. It's a tax that he tries to make them pay tribute to. And King Hezekiah, at this point, I begin to see fear overtake him. Fear overtakes his faith in the Lord. Because he, what does he do first to pay this wicked king? He begins to take all the gold and money out of the temple and give it to this wicked king. He begins making a bargain and a deal with the enemy. And it ends up leading to so much fear and you never make a deal with the enemy. You never bargain with the enemy. That's what Satan wants you to do. Satan wants to give you the prize, show you the prize, but really he, all he wants to do is kill you. He, he's someone who you, all he speaks is lies. For whatever he's offering you, all it is is death. In the momentary pleasure of sin, yeah, there might be fun. There might be a, a bit of, of excitement in it. But its end is death. So you never make a deal with the enemy. As soon as that war starts to happen in your mind, because that's where the spiritual battle begins, in the mind. As soon as that spiritual battle begins to start, as soon as you start entertaining the enemy's thoughts, as soon as you start to entertain sin, the flesh, in your heart and in your mind, you're already losing the battle. So you don't make deals. I'm reminded of King Saul. King Saul, we, we talked about him before. God ordered him to go and to wipe out the wicked nation of the Amalekites. And he went out and he killed some of the soldiers, but then he left the king alive intentionally and he left all their flocks and herds alive. As, and he was ordered to kill everything, everything. So the prophet came to King Saul and he said, King Saul, what, what are you doing? Why is the king still alive? And what is the bleeding of sheep that I hear? You've disobeyed the Lord. And so because of this, King Saul ended up losing his kingdom. God took it away from him. And then later on, because he didn't wipe out all of the Amalekites, at the end of King Saul's life, the Amalekites fight him in battle and end up killing him. The Bible teaches us that he fell on his sword, but then that an Amalekite came and found him that way and finished him off. So we see when you don't cut off the flesh, because the Amalekites are symbolic of the flesh, when you don't cut off the flesh in your life, when you allow that little bit to stay alive, it ends up coming back full force and ends up killing you entirely, wiping you out. So we need to completely get rid of the flesh and of sin in our life. We can't afford to let Satan have a foothold anywhere in our hearts or in our minds. 
and we can't allow the enemy to scare us into making bargains with him. Again in 2 Kings, uh, now if you go down to verse 19, it says, Then the Assyrian king's chief of staff told them to give this message to Hezekiah. This is what the great king of Assyria says. What are you trusting in that makes you so confident? Do you think that mere words can substitute for military skill and strength? Who are you counting on that you have rebelled against me? On Egypt? If you lean on Egypt, Sorry, I pushed a button on the iPad and it, I lost my spot. <laughs> what verse? 44. Uh-huh. Gotcha. Verse 21. Gotcha. Sorry about that. Back on 18, verse 21. On Egypt, he's asking him, where are you going to rely? On Egypt, if you lean on Egypt, it will be like a reed that splinters beneath your weight and pierces your hand. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, is completely unreliable. Perhaps you will say to me, we are trusting in the Lord, our God. But isn't he the one who was insulted by Hezekiah? Didn't Hezekiah tear down his shrines and altars and make everyone in Judah and Jerusalem worship only the altar here in Jerusalem? I'll tell you what, strike a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses if you can find that many men to ride on them. With your tiny army, how can you think of challenging even the weakest contingent of my master's troops? even with the help of Egypt's chariots and charioteers. What's more, do you think we have invaded your land without the Lord's direction? The Lord himself told us, attack this land and destroy it. So now the antagonist, Sennacherib, he comes to Hezekiah's men and he begins to tell them, hey, what are you guys doing? We're going to come and take you over. Who do you think you are? You see, the money wasn't enough for the enemy. Now he wanted their lives. He wanted to enslave them and capture them entirely. And he began to speak these threats saying, look, even if we were to give you 2,000 horses, would you be able to find men to ride them? And he said, don't trust in Egypt, which is actually true. As believers, we're not to trust in anything else but God. But they were using this as, as fear tactics. And they were, they were threatening them now. So we have Sennacherib, the enemy now, coming against him. Now, if you continue on to the next chapter, in chapter 19, it says, When King Hezekiah heard their report, he tore his clothes and put on burlap and went into the temple of the Lord. And he sent Eliakim, the palace administrator, Shebna, the court secretary, and the leading priests, all dressed in burlap, to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. They told him, this is what King Hezekiah says. Today is a day of trouble, insults and disgrace. It is like when a child is ready to be born, but the mother has no strength to deliver the baby. But perhaps the Lord, your God, has heard the Assyrian chief of staff sent by the king to defy the living God and will punish him for his words. Oh, pray for those of us who are left. So now we see Hezekiah, he first tears his clothes in, in kind of a, a mourning. And he goes where first? To the temple. And that's something that we need to recognize in our own lives. Where do we, rec- where do we run to in times of trial? Are we running to Egypt, which is a symbolic of the flesh or other me- methods to help us out? Or are we running first to the Lord? So Hezekiah first went to the temple of the Lord and he begins to seek out the prophet Isaiah. So Isaiah is an interesting character in this account because he's one of the prophets. 
most Bible scholars believe that the book of Kings was written by Jeremiah, the prophet. So Jeremiah is writing of Isaiah, the prophet. And you have these guys who are contemporary, living at the same time with each other. And Isaiah was, was prophesying to the nation of Judah. And so the king goes to the prophet. You know, it's good that leaders, we seek out help from other spiritual men and women. It's good that we go to people who are going to give us advice and counsel and give us the word of the Lord and who are going to point us back to the Lord. You see, in our lives, we, we need to have this discipleship. We need to have people who are going to pour into us. But then not only do we just gain from other people in discipleship, but we also need to be pouring out into other people. We need to be discipling others. And then we need to have brothers and sisters in the Lord who are going to be coming alongside of us. There's this New Testament uh, approach that I've heard to this philosophy that we should always have someone who's like a Paul to us, someone who's going to disciple us. And then we should have someone who's like a Barnabas in our lives, meaning someone who's going to come alongside and comfort and be that loving brother or sister in the Lord. And then we should always have a Timothy in our lives, someone who we're going to pour into and disciple and raise them up. And so we see Hezekiah seeking out the counsel of the prophet Isaiah. If you skip down to verse 9 in chapter 19, it says, Soon afterward, King Sennacherib received word that King Tirica of Ethiopia was leading an army to fight against him. Before leaving to meet the attack, he sent messengers back to Hezekiah in Jerusalem with this message. This message is for King Hezekiah of Judah. And don't let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you with promises that Jerusalem will not be captured by the king of Assyria. You know perfectly well what the kings of Assyria have done wherever they have gone. They have completely destroyed everyone who stood in their way. Why should you be any different? Have the gods of other nations rescued them? Such nations as Gozan, Haran, Rezef, and the people of Eden who were in Talasar? My predecessors destroyed them all. What happened to the king of Hamath and the king of Arpad? What happened to the kings of Sepharavim, Hena, and Eva? So now more threats are coming from Sennacherib. He's showing Hezekiah, look at what I've done to these other nations. Look at how I've brought them down to their knees. And that's what the enemy wants to do in our life. He wants to continue to, to point out what's happening on our spectrum. He wants to continue to point out realities that are, are going to bring us into fear. But when we begin to look at our outward circumstance only and forget about God, it brings fear in our hearts. It brings fear into our lives. So we are to always trust that God has a plan for all these things. When we look at the situation in our lives today, we could look at what's happening in other nations right now and become fearful. And yeah, there is a reality that there are trials happening right now in other nations that could be coming our way. So that's why regardless of whether blessing or curse comes to us, we need to be on our knees before the Lord. We need to be going to the temple of the Lord. Now we, uh, right now, we can't physically go to the church building. We can't meet as a gathering right now because of the sickness that is spreading right now in our world. But right now, there's fellowship. There's the word of God and fellowship amongst the families. Our family should be our first ministry. Men should be leading their families right now in Bible studies and praying with them. And women get, get to help in that. And we, we all as a family, the family unit, are right now we're, we're growing more in the Lord and we, we need to be diving in. Uh, I, I had a great conversation with a, a friend just yesterday. Um, and we were excited about what God is doing 
with conversation right now in our lives. When there's true fellowship, it's when God is in the midst of that conversation, where it's not just talking about sports and it's not just talking about movies or video games or whatever have you be, glamour, but allowing Christ to be in the midst of a conversation begins to bring spiritual truths that apply to our lives and, and affect our spiritual life. And that's what we're excited about God bringing into our hearts and in our minds right now. In verse 14, if you would skip down to verse 14, or not skip down, but just go to the next verse 14. It says, After Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it, he went up to the Lord's temple and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed this prayer before the Lord. And you want to stop for a moment and just say, whenever you see a prayer in the Bible, uh, it's good to take note of it. It's good to see how these men and women uh, in times past would, would speak to God. And it's a model for us to kind of glean after. So he says, again in 15, And Hezekiah prayed this prayer before the Lord. O Lord God of Israel, you are enthroned between the, the mighty cherubim. You alone are God of all the kingdoms of the earth. You alone created the heavens and the earth. Bend down, O Lord, and listen. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to Sennacherib's words of defiance against the living God. It is true, Lord, that the kings of Assyria have destroyed all these nations, and they have thrown down the gods of the nations into the fire and burned them. But of course, the Assyrians could destroy them. They were not gods at all, only idols of wood and stone shaped by human hands. Now, O Lord, our God, rescue us from his power. Then all the kingdoms of the earth will know that you alone, O Lord, are God. So we see Hezekiah's prayer. What does he do in the first portion of his prayer? He begins to recognize who God is, who he is talking to. He reminds himself of who he's talking to. He calls him the God of Israel, enthroned between the mighty cherubim. Those are angels. God of all the kingdoms of the earth, and him alone created the heavens and the earth. So now with the proper perspective and view of who you're talking to, you can then begin to pray in faith and in the reality that God is all-powerful, all-sovereign, all-loving, he knows everything and that he can answer these prayers that we bring before him. He then, after that point, began to lay out the threats that Sennacherib had brought to him. You see, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, was known for being a cruel man. The Assyrians were known for being a cruel nation. You see, when the Assyrians would go conquer nations, it would be common for the people who they were sieging to end up committing suicide before the Assyrians completely took over and captured them because the people were so afraid to be enslaved by the Assyrians. The Assyrians were known for dragging people across the desert with hooks in their nose and their mouth. They were known for decapitating and cutting off the heads of, this, of a, an enemy nation and creating a giant pyramid out of these heads so that when people would go and see a nation that was conquered and see this giant pyramid, they would know that the Assyrians had been there. So Hezekiah, yeah, there is a reason for him to be afraid, but he's doing the right thing and bringing it to, before the Lord and saying, God, look, this is the threat that they are coming against us. He lays out that threat before them. I've done this in my own life where there's been times where I've had to lay out things before the Lord and say, God, I need you to help me take care of this. Um, I literally would sometimes take this and there were times in my, my life when I once got a, a parking ticket and I was scared because <laughs> I found it later on and I was going to be late for it. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I laid it out before the Lord and I was like, God, please just uh, don't let this parking ticket turn into like a, a warrant or anything. And then I ended up calling the place and they're like, oh yeah, it's fine. Just pay the fee and you're good. 
Um, so God comes through at times. And in the bigger things, I've laid things out before the Lord. And I'm sure you guys have laid things out before the Lord too. And God is in control of that situation where he can move when we're not even seeing, when we're not even aware that he can take care of that situation for you. So Hezekiah lays these threats out. And then at the end, again, in verse 19, he says, or actually before that, he begins to say how the other idols made of, out of wood and stone, they're just, they're nothing. They're shaped from human hands. So why trust in them? In verse 19, he says, Now, O Lord our God, rescue us from his power. Then all the kingdoms of the earth will know that you alone are God. So who gets glorified in the miracle? God gets glorified, not us. It says in verse 20, Then Isaiah, son of Amos, sent the message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I have heard your prayer about King Sennacherib of, of Assyria, and the Lord had spoken this word against him. So recognize, first of all, that God hears our prayers, because he said, I have heard your prayer. It says in verse 21, the virgin daughter of Zion despises you and laughs at you. The daughter of Jerusalem shakes her head in derision as you flee. Whom have you been defying and ridiculing? Against whom did you raise your voice? At whom did you look with such haughty eyes? It was the Holy One of Israel. By your messengers, you have defied the Lord. You have said with many chariots, I have conquered the highest mountains. Yes, the remotest peaks of Lebanon. I have cut down its tallest cedars and its finest cypress trees. I have reached the farthest corners and explored the deepest forests. I have dug wells in many foreign lands and refreshed myself with their water, with the sole of my foot. I stopped up all the rivers of Egypt. But have you not heard? I decided this long ago. Long ago I planned it, and now I am making it happen I plan for you to crush fortified cities into heaps of rubble. So this is the word of the Lord now to Sennacherib. He reminds Sennacherib, who do you think you are? You're saying that you're this mighty man with these chariots, these cypress trees in Lebanon, that you've dug all these wells in all these foreign countries. But don't you realize, Sennacherib, that I planned this a long time ago? I planned for you, Sennacherib, to conquer these nations. And to me, that, that reveals God's sovereignty, that he's in control over even the enemy. He's in control over the enemies of the Lord. God literally uses Satan as a tool so that he can be glorified, that God can get glorified. Now, when I say that, I don't mean that God is blessing Satan or that God has favor on Satan. But it's kind of like if, if Satan is trying to do a, a, a roundabout punch to, to a, the believer, God ends up moving the believer out of Satan's reach and Satan falls over and hits himself in the face. It's, Satan is really fighting and causing his own demise because God is planning everything, every move. Because God knows everything. Satan doesn't know everything. But God does. A lot of times we think of Satan being equal with God, but that's not true at all. Satan is just a created being. And one day we're going to look down on Satan and be like, that was the guy who plagued our earth for all these years? It was that guy? Because we're going to be so amazed on how small God is going to make this guy. So when we recognize that God is in comparison there is no comparison to any enemy, any foothold, any demon, any disease, any virus. God is creator of the heavens and the earth and that he's planned for this. If you look at verse 27, we're going to skip a couple of verses, go to verse 27. But I know you well where you stay and when you come and go, I know the way you have raged against me. And because of your raging against me and of your arrogance, which I have heard for myself, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth. 
I will make you return by the same road on which you came. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Here is the proof that what I say is true. This year you will eat only what grows up by itself. And next year you will eat what springs up from that. But in the third year you will plant crops and harvest them. You will tend vineyards and eat their fruit. And you who are left in Judah, who have escaped the ravages of the siege, will put roots down in your own soil and will grow up and flourish. For the remnant of my people will spread out from Jerusalem a group of survivors from Mount Zion. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. So God now, he's promising blessing now upon his people that they are going to go back and to be able to build the vineyards and to be prosperous in the land. And God always has his remnant, meaning that small minority of people who he's going to protect and preserve. God always keeps his remnant. Now, in verse 32, And this is what the Lord says about the king of Assyria. His armies will not enter Jerusalem. They will not even shoot an arrow at it. They will not march outside its gates with their shields, nor build banks of the earth against its walls. The king will return to his own country by the same road on which he came. He will not enter the city, says the Lord. For my own honor and for the sake of my servant David, I will defend the city and protect it. So God's saying, look, the enemy is going to come, but they're not even going to shoot an arrow in. Nothing is going to happen to my people. They're not even going to be able to enter into the gates. They're going to end up going back the same way that they came. You know, I pray that this would reflect in our own nation. I pray that the trials that we're experiencing now, even with this virus, would leave as quickly as it came. But if it doesn't, still, we're not going to turn away from the Lord. We're still going to trust him and know that God is in control of everything. Because God is a God of miracles who can take away disease and trial and and famine and sickness overnight. But if he doesn't, it's better to be with God than, than to be without him. And why is he doing this? In verse 34, he said, For my own honor and for the sake of my servant David. So it's for God's glory, not for ourselves. And then in verse 35, That night the angel of the Lord went out to the Assyrian camp and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. When the surviving Assyrians woke up the next morning, they found corpses everywhere. Then King Sennacherib of Assyria broke camp and returned to his own land. He went home to his capital of Nineveh and stayed there. One day, while he was worshiping in the temple of his god, Nisroch, his sons, Adremelech and Sharazizer, killed him with their swords. Then they escaped to the land of Ararat, and another son, Esherodon, became the next king of Assyria. So what do we see happening here after God gives Hezekiah his word? He fulfills it. And was it by King Hezekiah's strength? No, it was not by King Hezekiah's strength. King Hezekiah did not even need to take a, a, a step to fight at all. He just had to wait upon the Lord. He just had to stand still and see God move. And God sent his angel. It says the angel of the Lord. Sometimes that, that phrase, the angel of the Lord, we see that literally referring to God in the Old Testament. Right here, we don't know whether this is just an angel, meaning a messenger of the Lord, or even of Jesus himself. But we do know it, it is a messenger of the Lord. Went and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night. Now, if you guys remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and the soldiers came to arrest him, Peter drew his sword on the soldiers and he cut the high priest Malchus' ear off. And Jesus told Peter, Peter, stop, what are you doing? Put your sword away. Don't you know that if I wanted to, 
I could ask for my father to send me a legion of his angels and they would protect me. Now imagine if Jesus had done that and asked for a legion of angels. That's over a thousand angels to come down. What kind of damage would they have done if just one angel killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers? How much would a legion of angels do? So when I pray, I ask God, God, when I'm going out, when I'm doing your work, Lord God, when I'm at home asleep, send a legion of your angels to, prote to protect me. Or just send one. Because that, that's the kind of power that God places upon them to protect them, to do his will. So angels are quite fascinating in their strength and what they can do. But remember, they only the angels, they serve the Lord and they're obedient to him. Now, after the king of Assyria goes back to his land, his own sons end up killing him. And God gives victory to the Israelites. So King Hezekiah now has this great and awesome reason to rejoice. In the next chapter, we're not going to dive too much into it, but I do want to mention what ends up happening to King Hezekiah. We'll read the first, uh, the first four verses. It says, About that time, Hezekiah became deathly ill. And the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to visit him. He gave the king this message. This is what the Lord says. Set your affairs in order, for you are going to die. You will not recover from this illness. When Hezekiah heard this, he turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, O Lord, how I have always been faithful to you and have served you single-mindedly, always doing what pleases you. Then he broke down and wept bitterly. But before Isaiah had left the middle courtyard, the message came to him from the Lord. Go back to Hezekiah, the leader of my people. Tell him, this is what the Lord, the God of your ancestor David says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you. And three days from now, you will get out of bed and go to the temple of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life and I will rescue you and the city from the king of Assyria. I will defend the city for my own honor and for the sake of my servant, David. So King Hezekiah, he becomes sick. Sick where he realizes this sickness is going to kill him. So he turns to the Lord and he prays to him and he says, don't you remember God all the things that I did for you? So God answers his prayer and he heals him. We see how miraculous God can be. But here's the, the kind of interesting thing about Hezekiah's recovery. So Hezekiah is healed and he's recovered. And I find it weird that he has to mention to God, God, don't you remember all the great things that I did for you? I don't think as believers we're called to do that. God knows everything. Now, what's sad about Hezekiah's life is God adds 15 years to his life. He lets him live. But in that 15-year span of time, King Hezekiah has two sons. One of those sons, his name is Manasseh. And when Manasseh takes over, he leads Israel into idolatry, one of the greatest and most terrible reigns that there is in Judah. And King Hezekiah also, he during those 15 years, allows the Babylonian leaders to come and to see his great land and the temple of the Lord. And he lets him see all the treasuries of the Lord. And the Babylonians, they end up fighting and conquering to take over the land. So everything in Hezekiah's pride to show them all the wonders that he had in the temple was a wrong thing to do. In his pride, he wanted to show them how great it was. But because of this, the Babylonians knew that there was gold in that temple. And Hezekiah's sons would end up turning the entire nation into idolatry. So sometimes what we see from this is in Hezekiah's life, though being a man who feared the Lord and had this great faith and God delivered him, he also kind of messed up, just like we do sometimes. 
and he became prideful. But God allowed him to have peace till the end of his time. And he allowed it. We have God's perfect will sometimes, and then sometimes you have what God just allows to happen, his permissive will. Where God has a, an awesome, great plan and love that's available to us. But if we reject that plan, then we go on our own plan. And it's not God's perfect will. So the encouragement, sometimes in our life, we, we try to get out of situations. Sometimes we say, God, get me out of the situation. And you're begging God. But ultimately, you want to ask for God's perfect will in your life. And we do ask for blessing. We do ask for healing and, and for strength. But ultimately, we do want to ask for God's Holy Spirit to reign totally and completely so that we are walking in his perfect will. King Hezekiah, we, we get to see so such an awesome account of what God can do in a man's life and how he protected his children, the nation of Israel. How in one night, God just completely overtook the enemy and killed 185,000 of the enemy soldiers. And God can do a miracle like that in our life. He can do a miracle like that in the small things. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. But when you just simply allow yourself to grow in your relationship with Him, when you simply get rid of a workspace relationship, you put aside thinking that it's your work and that you're going to create this success in your life. But when you simply have that relationship, that abiding relationship with Christ, God will place you where he needs to. God will position you where he, God wants you to be. And you could walk in faith and be filled with that joy, that peace that such a world is missing right now so that you can spread that to other people. So I encourage you guys to be men and women who seek after that prayer with the Lord, who seek after the Lord first rather than going to anything else in trials. And I do pray for you guys. We love you guys. We want you to know that we are here with you, that if you need anything, to reach out to others, other believers, reach out to the leaders reach out to one another, help one another. Remember what Christ did on the cross for you. Remember that God ultimately had a plan for your salvation in this time, that he sent his only son to die on the cross for your sins. And then he resurrected from the grave, giving us new life and an eternity with God in heaven above. And you can spread that joy now. So there's such an opportunity right now where people are hungry for hope. They are hungry for the word of the Lord. They are hungry for Jesus Christ. So I would encourage all of you to use the name of Jesus in conversation with somebody this week. Bring his name up. Remind them what Jesus has done in your life. Remind them of your relationship with Jesus Christ and encourage them to do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for this morning, Lord God, of just getting to have church, Lord God, in our homes. I pray, Father, that that's where church would start, in our homes. Lord God, if there's things in our life, Lord God, that we've created to be idols and fear, I pray and I ask, Lord God, that you would remove them. I pray and I ask, Lord Jesus, that we would look to you alone, that we'd seek after prayer, recognizing who you are when we pray to you. Father, you've created the heavens, the earth. You know all the stars by name, and you know us. I pray and I ask, Lord Jesus, that we'd be reminded of your love for us. I pray, Father, that we'd be filled with your Holy Spirit, Lord God, that we can help, Lord God, others, that we'd bring glory to you, and for your glory alone. Father, we love you. I pray for my, all the listeners out there. I pray, Father, that you would just continue to bind them, Lord God, in your love. Help us, Lord God, just to be, Lord God, uh, 
understanding and submissive, Lord God, in a time, Father, when we don't understand. We love you, Father. We praise you. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Awesome. We're going to have one more song. And then I hope you guys enjoy the rest of your week. We'll be back on Wednesday night. Uh, if you didn't catch um, uh, the first podcast that we just uh, did yesterday, I would encourage you guys to look at our YouTube, subscribe to it. There's uh, a great podcast between me and Mike Sanchez out right now. And um, there's more to come. And so we love you guys. We're praying for you. And uh, let's worship the Lord. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. To see you high and lifted up. Shining in the light of your glory Pour out your power and love As we sing holy, holy, holy Holy, holy, holy Holy, holy, holy Holy, 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 holy. I want to see God bless. We'll see you guys on Wednesday.